When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. My personal saying is that there's always going to be, it's all timing. So there's always going to be a point in time in a owner's life where they either need or want to sell. One of those two things is going to happen. There's many different reasons why each one might occur uh, mm-hmm. in a owner's life to where they become a seller. And the goal is to get your message in front of them when that day comes. Rockstar, it's Matt Terrio here at Epic Real Estate. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Show. And if you're into real estate investing for cash flow specifically, you're going to love today's episode. Today's episode of Thought Leader Thursday. Okay, so today it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show this real estate expert, serial entrepreneur, charitable humanitarian, adventure seeker, and passionate family man. So please help me welcome back to the show, Mr. Kevin But Kevin, welcome back. Matt, thanks for having me, buddy. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to catching up. Yeah, we've been playing a little bit of podcast tag yeah, right. <laughs> and having a hard time nailing it down, but I'm glad we finally did. Um, so you are a cash flowing expert. This is, this is your focus. And so it's near and dear to my heart, but you do it with a slightly different asset class. Uh, why don't you just, I mean, maybe we do uh, remind yeah. me what it is that you do and how you do it. Yeah, we have a little twist. I mean, now we've owned other types of real estate. We've owned lots of residential, uh, lots of multifamily over the years, uh, commercial and uh, just happened across uh, mobile home parks. Um, now, now it's going on seven years and that is so, solely what we focus on today. Um, and uh, we love the niche, man. So we've been buying parks for, for going on seven years now and um, own them. And now today, as we do this recording, 11 states mm-hmm. um, and soon to be 13 states here in the very near future. So uh, own them as far north as uh, New York and Michigan and as far west right now as Oklahoma and then everywhere, everywhere else in between. So got it. Is that where you started with mobile home parks? No, not at all. No, many, 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 many years ago, um, I got my, uh, I cut my teeth in in single family, you know, buying, mostly doing like, uh, you know, really rough rehabs in the inner city of Pennsylvania where I grew up and then Mm -hmm. uh, started doing buy and hold. I was was always taught to buy and hold and during cash flow. That was kind of model that was, um, you know, put onto my shoulders way back when. And then kind of migrated into multifamily. Uh, This is all way back before the crash. And then, uh, um, crash hit me pretty hard and was just really looking to uh, scale the business up again because I lost pretty much everything during the crash. And, um, you know, uh, at some point in 2011, got introduced to mobile home parks, really didn't, uh, wasn't interested at that point, you know, put a little bit more thought into it, a little bit more education behind me and uh, saw something that seemed very intriguing and uh, I wanted to give it a shot. And so bought my first park way back then uh, up in Atlanta and uh, here we are today, man. So uh, I've done a little bit of everything, but this has been our sole focus for the past seven years. That's great. You know, um, I have almost no experience with a mobile home park. I don't even know if I've ever stepped foot on one. <laughs> I, I had not ever stepped foot in one until we actually bought one. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, good. So, so I have a, I have a, I have, you know, we, we have a, a, a business over here where we help people build real estate investing businesses and mm-hmm. we support them along the way and we build their systems and do all that. And uh, through their marketing efforts, they come across all kinds of stuff, most of which I can help them with. But I did have a, a client recently that came and says, Matt, I got this mobile home park. What do I do with it? And I said, I don't know. Let me 
get back to you. So <laughs> I hit you up and uh, I connected you too. And he said he's pretty happy with the end result. Uh, what, what's your version of the story? Yeah, no. So, so we have not bought the park yet. We're actually in contract with okay. that that park, and I, him and I actually have a call. Um, uh, I think tomorrow uh, with with the seller. We we've uncovered a few um, potential hiccups uh, in the infrastructure, mm-hmm. and so I mean, as of today, you know, we're we're doing a deal together. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the uh, the connection there. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, it does go somewhere because it looks like a great opportunity, and it's up in Michigan again. We own something up in Michigan now. He's actually based in Michigan. Um, you know, the person you connected me with, and um, mm-hmm. and we like Michigan as a marketplace. Uh, I don't think I'd want to live there; a little too cold. But um, it's know. a great market to own uh, uh, mobile home parks in. Right. So when you go through the due diligence process, which of you guys are going through right now, yeah. um, what are the big differences that you're looking for that uh, compared to single family? Yeah, I mean. Uh, Probably a lot of similarities, but there's there's a, a couple additional caveats that exist in our space. Like you know, to use the example of this park that um, that we're doing with one of your your students, um, that one is on private utility, so it's got a private well system for the water supply. It's so it's it's in a somewhat rural area. It's close to uh, Grand Rapids, but not close enough to where there's municipal utilities. And, and that, that that's common with mobile home parks. A lot of times when they're built you know, whether it's 15, 20, 30 years ago, they're, they're typically built on pieces of land that don't have a higher and better use, right? So it's cheap land then. And then over time, you know, cities or towns kind of um, get pushed outwards and you'll find parks that might've been on private utilities, you know, 30 years ago, and then municipal sewer and water lines come close by and they get connected. But with this one, it's still probably, it's still probably 15 years or so before the growth really gets that close to it. And so it's got a private well for the water and then it's got a, um, basically a master septic system. So just you know, think of like a, a huge robust version of like what you might find on one single family home. Like a, instead of like a, a 1500 or a thousand gallon tank, you've got like a 15,000 gallon tank and a huge leach field that might encompass like a quarter of an acre. Um, and so that's what this system has. And so like one of the caveats with this park was we knew that they had multiple violations um, from, the, uh, uh, from the EPA for the, the sewage. The sewage system wasn't working properly. And uh, it happens with septics if you don't maintain them, if you have tree roots growing into the lines. And so this one, we kind of knew there was a little bit of hair on it going in. We didn't know how, um, how in-depth or how um, uh, you know, drastic it was. But as we dug deeper, as we got engineers involved, um, we uncovered what the seller said was about a $50,000 repair. It's more like a $250,000 repair. Mm-hmm. So um, the infrastructure is, is, is very important, um, especially in situations where you've got private sewer um, so some of the other things that you want to uh, identify is, uh, you know, in a perfect world, Matt, like we don't want to own any of the homes in that community. So we don't want to own any of the trailers. We just want to rent the land to the folks that own the trailers. Right. So just basically thinking of like a, as a parking lot where they park their mobile homes that aren't very mobile. It's very hard and expensive to move them. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, we're just basically, you know, providing the infrastructure, the water and sewer and a place to park their home. And so, but there are a lot of instances where uh, parks will come along with uh, rental inventory. So where the park actually owns some of the units. And so in that situation, just like if you buy a single family home, you're going to want to go through and do walkthroughs, ensure that number one, there's someone living there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Number two, that it's in, you know, uh, good structural shape. 
and uh, that that deal that we're talking about now up in Michigan, I think it's got about four, eleven or fourteen, I believe, uh, park-owned homes. And so we've got to do a, you know thorough inspection on all those. But um, and then uh, the other similar things that you would do, you know, want to verify the rent roll, verify the the financials. Um, you know, we always get experts involved when it comes to anything regarding the infrastructure. We'll get engineers involved and, and water companies and sewer companies and things like that. Um, <clears throat> we'll also deal with, you know, talk to the county, find out what kind of historic uh, code violations the community might have had. Try to get the general, um, uh, I guess, temperature reading from the county on how they feel about the community. A lot of times we're buying value add stuff where if it's a single family home, you know, the code enforcement officer might not be all that happy, but you know, they get pretty pleased when they see someone coming in that's going to clean it up. Um, mobile home parks have a negative stigma to start with. And so they're already starting a little bit behind. And right. uh, what I found is that a lot of times we come in like, you know, thinking that we're the guys with the capes on. Um, most of the time, municipalities don't really perceive us that way because all they think is that a mobile home park, no matter who takes it over, it's going to be a problem. And so we spend a lot of time during due diligence just really um, get, getting a really good gut check as to how much friction we're going to have um, with this city or this township if we buy this property, if, it, if it's a value-add place. So like the one I'm speaking of in Michigan, this thing has literally had you know, sewage issues for like four years and they've been ignoring it. And so they've had multiple violations. The city hates it. They, I mean, if it was up to them, they would have shut it down. So um, we got the gut check that they truly want to work with whoever the next buyer is and they want to be flexible. Um, in other instances, we've had the complete opposite to where it's like, you know what, you're wasting your money. You better not buy this thing. We're going to continue working to shut you guys down. So um, it's always good to know that going in. So right. and, and a multitude of other things as well. But those are some of the you know, unique aspects of mobile home parks that might not exist in some other uh, asset classes. Mm-hmm. So is this grounds for like, like with single families, would you be going back to the seller and asking for an adjustment? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty big adjustment, though. It's not just an adjustment in price on this one, because um, the current condition of this infrastructure, it, a bank won't touch it. Like, they, they won't touch it at all. I mean, it's got an environmental issue. It's got just a litany of um, health department violations, not just one, like multiple, because the guy just kept ignoring these violations as they came in. And so, uh, it's a situation where we surely won't want to sign our name on a recourse loan with this underlying issue in place. Um, it's a big one. And so we're going to go back and do a price reduction, uh, attempt to do a price reduction, mm-hmm. but also get him to carry financing for a period of time. Um, you know, get him to take a, a smaller, a small amount down, about, about 10% is kind of our goal and uh, a price reduction as well. That'll give us enough time to, you know, number one, we'll, instead of putting all the money as a down payment, we'll inject a significant amount of money into the infrastructure improvements, um, into the cosmetic improvements of the park itself, uh, get some stabilized financials in place because he doesn't have them. I mean, his mm-hmm. books are horrific. And so we'll, we'll do that. If, if, if he uh, is in agreement, we'll get him to hold for two to three years, get some good stabilized books in place, fix the infrastructure issue, and then take him out with some bank debt in a couple years down the road once, uh, once it's ready to go that route. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm too optimistic at this point. He didn't seem too oh, receptive. Really? But, you know, the interesting thing is I think it's just a, it's a game of poker in these situations. He thinks he's got this, this, this product that everybody wants. But for the most part, people are, are scared, um, scared to death when it comes to not just infrastructure issues, but when you've got like the EPA involved and the mm-hmm. counties involved and like there's literally just health violations um, that are, you know, uh, pages and pages long. It's a big deal. Like, that's a big deal to deal with. And it's a lot of, it really is a lot of risk. And we've, we've gone that down that road before we're comfortable with it. Um, and we know that we can fix it, but so we're going to, we'll probably, probably play hardball with him. And, uh, and I'm guessing we'll probably have to walk away from the table and hopefully it comes back to us. That's, that's kind of my gut check of how I think it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'd like to buy it because it's, it's actually, it's a good opportunity, but mm-hmm. I'm surely not going to overpay for it. I think that's, uh, right. in today's world, that's the interesting thing, man. Maybe you're seeing the same thing. You know, there, there's so much, um, there's so much anxiety out there from, from buyers just feeling like if they don't buy today, um, there's not like many deals left, right? Like, and they're very anxious to, to overpay or to overbid. And, um, that is mm-hmm. not us. So right. we're, we're slow and patient buyers. It's good. Yeah. The, uh, was it the Warren Buffett, the, the best investing is boring investing. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, I mean, we're in it for the long run. We're not in it to make a quick buck like that property there. Again, I said, it's, it's, um, it's uh, just outside of the Grand Rapids MSA. Grand Rapids is a phenomenal market. And, uh, and, and, and the growth is heading that direction throughout the interstate. So it's only a 40 minute drive to downtown Grand Rapids. So, I mean, it's very much a commuter suburb of uh, Grand Rapids. So it's a phenomenal location. It's only going to get better, but, um, you know, today it's a little rough, right? I can see how those exterior elements could get somebody really excited about purchasing the property. And then once you get in, there's so much more to, to uncover. And so thank you for for helping and, and uh, looking out for them because yeah. like they say around here, it's better to miss out on a good one than it is to buy a bad one. And Absolutely. I bought a few bad ones and boy, you remember those. You forget <laughs> yeah. about the good ones you might've missed out on, but you remember the bad ones. Well, I mean, this one would sink somebody's ship. Like th- this mm-hmm. one would sink the unassuming buyer's ship completely, uh, especially if they went just on the, um, the advice of the seller. You know, the seller like literally had some quotes from like a local septic company that were like, $45,000. I mean, it, they had, they were all BS. There was, there was nothing real about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a real engineer involved and, uh, and it literally was five times the amount, you know? So, but if someone would have just gone into it saying, Hey, this is a great deal. Cause it does it, what we're paying for. It is a great deal. If the repairs were only $50,000, but right. now it's not a good deal whatsoever. Right. It, it would truly eat someone's lunch. <laughs> right. So when you go back to this, uh, to the table to negotiate with a seller, you know, Kind of what does that conversation look like then? Yeah, I mean, it's typically just laying out the facts. I mean, he told us X, uh, here's, 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 you know, here's the Y and Z. Here's the real facts behind the matter. And um, ultimately, the facts are it's a $250,000 infrastructure repair. Um, he's got uh, just, it's been piling up. Uh, he's got litigation literally chipping at his heels. I can't believe that the, the, the city hasn't litigated yet. It's crazy that they have. It's been like literally three and a half years of violations and he's just been ignoring them. So, I mean, he's got the pressure from the city. Um, he's got, uh, 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 you know, just pressure from the, you know, the, the park's not producing. Like, it's only half full. The residents that are there know that there's an issue. He's got a lot of um, slow payers and, you know, delinquent um, tenants on his hands. It's just, it's a downward spiral. And so, uh, there might be another buyer out there, but, you know, surely, uh, I can't imagine at the price that we have it under contract for. And so, that's, we just lay out the facts and say, you know, here's what it is. Any next buyer that comes in is going to discover the same thing we've discovered. Um, they're not going to get bank financing. They're going to request that you hold financing because here's what has to happen. Like literally you have horrible financials. We've got to get it stabilized. We've got to fix this infrastructure issue. I'm not going to give $200,000 down, uh, to you as a normal down payment. Cause I got to go dump another 250 into this thing. And that completely screws up my returns, you know? So no, it's just, it's just the facts. I, I don't know how else to put it. Like we're just transparent no, with like, here's what it is. Right. Here's how it works. And yeah. if this doesn't work for you, you know what, here's my number, you know, you know how to get, a, you know how to reach us. And uh, once you spend another 60 or 90 days with another buyer that probably bails out, call me back. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And not to be arrogant, but I mean, it's, it's, no, really, that's it's exactly how most I do of the time those types of deals come back around. And I think you just got to be willing to walk away and uh-huh. know that you're, 
that that you're confident enough with your bids and your analysis that mm-hmm. you, you know what a good deal means, you know what a bad deal means. And if we're buying right. it today at what, what we have in our contract for, um, it's a bad deal. So right. it's not worth the time or energy. What I, the, the additional thing that uh, my approach at that point, especially when you're you know you're probably going to walk away, is, you know, this is a really nice property. It's why we got into contract with you in the first place. Why don't you just go fix it up yourself and keep it? It'll produce really well once all this stuff is fixed. <laughs> so, so the funny part about that is one of the offers he made was that um, we could either pay, I think we have another contract for 560 or 580s, somewhere around there. He was, he was going to sell it to us unrepaired, for 580 or he would repair it himself and sell it to us for, you know, 630. So like he, you know, basically he'd make back that entire amount. But I think that was his way of basically screwing that buyer. Whoever was going to cut, whatever he was going to do was going to be a band-aid repair and mm-hmm. would have put the buyer in a really bad situation. And mm-hmm. um, so he was willing to repair it, but it wasn't the right repair. Right. Right. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. So um, seems like the, the negotiation and the buying process is relatively similar to single family. The due diligence is much more extensive. It seems like there's a lot sure. more that can go wrong when you're checking with the city and the EPA and lawsuits, all kinds of stuff. Um, when you're actually looking for the deals, how is that different? Yeah, huh? you know, um, compared to single family. I would say that one of, one of the big differences, and, and I was a single family buyer, so I, I get that space really well. It's a different type of buyer typically, you know, as far as um, we very rarely ever run across what I consider to be like a motivated seller, you know, someone that's kind of in distress and needs to sell like fast, which is a very, it's a very typical profile for a, uh, a seller that's going to sell at 65 or 70 cents in a dollar single family home. Um, and so that's one thing, just knowing that going in that, you know, you know, they're selling a business. Most of the time, if they're doing anything right, it's making money, you know, it, it's paying for its debt. Um, it's not all that big of a, of a stress point for them. And so a lot of times it's a little bit of a slower process, a little bit, it's a little bit more sophisticated of a negotiation. Um, I mean, you're really, you're really buying a business at that point in time. So that's, that's, that's where it differs a good bit. And it's, it's very similar to buying a multifamily apartment or another type of commercial real estate. Um, it's all income driven, but, um, you know, the, the one interesting thing about this niche, Matt, that uh, I don't think a lot of people realize is uh, the sellers or the, the current owners, it's, it's got a very aging population of owners. Like it's a very young niche when you think about it um, compared to other types of real estate. Like it's, it's really only been around since like the 40s and 50s where most of the communities actually were built in like the 60s, 70s and 80s. And so it's not that old of an industry and there's still a lot of first generation owners out there. And now they're in their 80s. Now they're in their 90s. I've, literally, I've had a dialogue going with these, these two brothers up in Minnesota. They're 93 years old each. They're twins. And uh-huh. they, 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 they built their park like 40 some odd years ago. And uh, there's a huge opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, to buy from these, these owners that are truly aging out of these asset classes. Um, and so like, that's one of the unique things. A lot of times it's more of a, it's a, personal, um, it's a personal connection. A lot of these folks aren't really motivated to sell because they're in financial distress. A lot of times it's more of a, um, a, a personal rapport relationship building um, w- with these sellers more than it is like the highest and best dollar amount. I mean, the dollar amount has to be fair, but we've bought many parks uh, over the years that we were not the highest bidder. Um, and I think we just happened to have a better end with the, the seller, right? Had a better relationship. Right. So no, like and trust plays a big role. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, for example, these two 93 year old twins, I guess one ninety-three-year-old twins or two, <laughs> two, two, two ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, there's one set of twins. One set of twins, right? Right. Not how did four. You, not how did four. you find them? How did you meet them? Yeah. So, so we do a lot of direct owner marketing. Um, that's direct kind mail? of our, 
Yeah, we do a lot of direct mail. Okay. Uh, them, I'm trying to think how we initially got in contact with them. I think it was a direct mail. So we do a lot of cold calling. We, we have a full-time outbound cold caller in-house. Uh, we do a ton of direct mail. Uh, we do work with brokers as well, but about 90% of our, our portfolio literally built ourselves by going direct to owner. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, this, this is a funny story. Now I'm recalling like how we, our original connection happened. We sent them a direct mail piece. And uh, I've never spoken with either one of these guys, the brothers. Um, they're old school as old school gets. They literally wrote me a handwritten letter back from the letter that I sent them. And we've literally been pen pals for like three years now. We've never spoken on the phone. They sent me pictures of the, their, their, their mobile home park. It's gorgeous. It's actually, it's on a stream. Uh-huh. And they, they literally sent me pictures of like, I don't know what you catch in a stream, but whatever types of fish you catch in in, in, in stream uh, in Minnesota, they'll send me pictures like over the summertime of what their grandson caught like off their deck on the mobile mm-hmm. home, out of the mobile home. They actually live in the mobile home park. It's crazy. Yeah, um, they know what they're yeah. doing. They're feeding the the buyer's emotions. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's <laughs> awesome. But uh, it, awesome. they're actually they're ex attorneys. So I mean, uh-huh. these guys are sharp guys. They had a law practice in town and uh, mm-hmm. um, retired. And they both live in the community, and just uh, it's it's a great place for them to retire, and they enjoy it. But they're not ready to sell yet. I don't know when that's going to happen. I mean, they're up there, but right. anyway, it's uh, it's so we do we do a lot. Of, to answer your original question, we do a lot of direct owner marketing. Last year, we bought we bought nine communities, and eight of those nine were our own efforts. So the direct mm-hmm. owner, only one came through a broker. So we like brokers, but what what we have found is that at least in today today's market. Once it gets in a broker's hand, uh, and I get this, it's the broker's job. It's their fiduciary responsibility to get the highest and best dollar amount for their client, you know, the seller. So once it gets in broker hand, broker's hands, it goes out to the world. There's always going to be someone that's willing to pay more than you, Matt, more than me. There's always going to be a buyer that's willing to pay a little right. bit more, take a little bit less of a return. So we'd rather avoid that and, um, and, and create some upside for ourselves by going direct to owner. That's, that's our goal. Got it. So that, to build a relationship, that's a, that's, it takes time, right? So yep. with that, said how many uh, projects do you acquire a year as many that makes sense i mean last year we bought nine uh, yeah i mean it really is the truth i mean last year we bought nine year before that we only bought six um you know we're, we're shooting to uh it's not necessarily a number of communities we've kind of had like an assets under management target so we'd like to add like another hundred million dollars of assets under management this year um so off to a slow start. It's funny, like literally up until like last week, I was getting a little down. I'm, I'm head of our acquisitions team here and I was a little down. You, you know, those times where I'm mm-hmm. like, literally nothing's been happening. Like literally for the past month and a half, I feel like we're spinning our wheels. Like things are falling off the board. Nothing's going back up. And then literally just a week ago, almost like the floodgates open. I literally had a couple opportunities come in just out of nowhere and, um, and, and our pipelines getting filled back up and we've got some momentum going again and we're excited. So that's good. Uh, it happens yeah. to the best of us, man. You can man. hit those slumps and just be like, Oh my God, is the market shifted? And I don't know what happened. And yeah, I was down. I was, I was kind of prepping my partners. I'm like, guys, like, I'm, you know, uh, you know, like I know we have like 11 months left or 10 months left, but man, it's, it's looking rough, man. How it's going today. I don't think there's any way that we're, I'm going to be able to you know, meet this goal, you know, and right. <laughs> just right. kind of, Plant the seed now so that I don't get you know uh-huh. a bunch of crap in ten months when I you know completely failed. This I stuff. told you way back in, in January. <laughs> um, so yeah, to push through those slumps, let's talk about that because I think there's a lot of people experiencing that right now, thinking stuff like direct mail doesn't work anymore, and PPC is too competitive and expensive, and you know Facebook is like now playing games with advertisers, and you know there's there's a lot of chitter chatter negativity going on and but we all experience that the best of us will experience those slumps and yep. i don't know you, you tell me that my whole philosophy is 
just stay consistent with the That's activities it. that got you in the first place. And That's it. That's what it. we'll find is the, the money that we make today is a lot of times based off of activity we did 60, 90 days wow. ago, right? Yep. And I would imagine for mobile home parks, it's probably stuff that you were doing a year ago. Right. Our deal, cycle, our deal cycle is way longer than years. I mean, we've had deals that have literally taken from for, first point of contact, they've taken two years to close uh, and sometimes more than that. So yeah, no, but the consistency is the key. It really is. I mean, yeah. you know, just being consistent with what works. Um, don't slow down on the direct mail, you know, like and make sure that you're keeping the right data and analytics to really measure what's happening. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So that you're not just haphazardly spending your money on things that maybe truly aren't working anymore, aren't working as effective. You need to change it up a little bit, but consistency is the key. I mean, we, uh, my, my personal saying is that there's always going to be, it's all timing. So there's always going to be a point in time in a owner's life where they either need or want to sell. One of those two things is going to happen. There's many different reasons why each one might occur uh, mm-hmm. in a owner's life to where they become a seller. And the goal is to get your message in front of them when that day comes, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, the credit card or like the, the tire advertisements. Like only once every four years, if you're a normal driver, if you drive 10,000 or 12,000 miles a year, do you need a new set of tires in your car? But yet I guarantee at least at least two times a week, probably sometimes more, there's freaking Tires Plus and, you know, Tire Mart and all those. Like they're literally sending advertisements knowing that one of those days, either you just hit like a nail on the way home and now you need a whole new set of tires or it, it didn't pass inspection if you're in one of those states, you know, and you need new tires. So like their goal is to get the timing right. If they would have sent you one, you know, the same week you got new tires, you wouldn't have held on to the damn thing. You'd have, you'd have thrown it away and then you'd have been scrambling to find a tire place um, you know, when you actually need a new tire, same thing with credit cards, right? I mean, yeah. they see them nonstop and very few times they ever get used, but hopefully they'll get you on the day that you need a, you need a credit line or you're looking mm-hmm. for maybe a new point system, you know? So it's a great, very, way. very similar, very similar. Totally. A hundred percent. And, and only people that have been in this game for a little while actually recognize that people mm-hmm. are just getting into it. And if they enter into a slump and get started, they're like, Oh, this real estate thing doesn't work. And they quit. Right. And uh, I guess just the lesson there is that everybody goes through it and consistency is what prevails. Um, it, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like when, you know, when, um, uh, you know, th- during the recession, a lot, of, you know, during, t- during down times, whether it's a recession or just a, a down slump, a lot of people see something at work. And so their immediate reaction is to pull back. Is to slow down with whatever they're doing. If if it's marketing, like right, they, st- they they lower their budget, their marketing budget. They stop doing as much direct mail. Whereas you should be really doing the opposite at those points of time, which is it's kind of counterintuitive, you know. Right. But you need to pump it out more because honestly, if you're feeling that way, I guarantee it's affecting your other competitors as well. They're going through the same challenge, so do the opposite of what they're doing. You know, beef it up, and uh, and and I guarantee you'll see some some results from it. You have my office bugged or something. What's that? I said, do you have my office bug? Oh, this, yeah, like this, three or four this is your things. gospel? Like, I just said that <laughs> yesterday to my team. <laughs> um, great. So you've got a podcast. I think you and I and maybe a handful of others, some of the, the longest running real estate podcasts. And, um, you know, you talk a lot about real estate. What do you wish you could talk about more that you don't get the opportunity to? Man, that's a great question. Um, you know what I enjoy? I, one of the biggest things I've enjoyed on my show, and I wish I could do more of it, um, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll explain what the challenge is of why it doesn't happen as often, is I, I've had some guys on my show. So I've got, a, I've got two shows. I've got a mobile home park investing show, and then I've got a um, show called Real Estate Investing for Cashflow, which right. is where I interview guys that are commercial real estate investors. And I've had guys on from all different types of asset classes, whether self-storage or retail or office or car washes or, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've had some old school guys in the show um, that literally, probably a handful of them that one guy, he owned a, a couple billion square feet of office in Chicago. He's been around for like 70 years. Guy was like 88 years old. I mean, he started when he was like 16 and uh, he didn't even know what a podcast was. He had no idea how to have some people help him like get on the show. And um, the amount of information and wisdom gathered from someone like that that's been through not just one downturn not just two but multiple downturns multiple challenges multiple capital markets um i i, I wish i could do more of that I, I wish there were more folks like that, that i could get on my show and and have just candid conversations it doesn't even have to be about real estate just mm-hmm. candid conversations about life and experiences and see it through their eyes i really enjoy that so i wish i could do more of that the challenge is right. they don't know technology that well, and uh, <laughs> they surely don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> you know, I, I ran across somebody like that once, and I got probably, I think was probably the most valuable advice and, and lesson that I've ever received since. Uh, and I'll share it with you, but what was the biggest thing you took away from that one person? You know, with, with him, with, with that guy I'm speaking of, one of the interesting, um, uh, it's, there's a couple, there's two really interesting things. He, he really did follow like the, the Warren Buffett philosophy um, mm-hmm. uh, of just really having long-term projection, um, uh, investing projection. So that, that was one thing. Like he, he, he was an office guy. He knew office doesn't always do good. Um, but like, he knew he was in for a long haul. He wasn't in just for the one up cycle. And then, you know, he's going to try to get out the peak. He wasn't going to try to time it. So he was very... Um, he was very focused on keeping his leverage points really low. Um, so he knew, he knew that he would go through up, ups and downs. He knew that there would be points at times where he had uh, 60 or, you know, or 40% vacancies in his office buildings, which could be catastrophic to majority of folks uh, that keep 70, 80% leverage points on their properties. Right. And so he was very focused on low leverage, not overpromising to his investors. So his returns were affected, right? His cash on cash returns weren't as substantial as maybe some of his competitors, but the longevity of his investment cycle and the, uh, the stability that he offered his investors uh, allowed him to continually outshine those competitors that came into his space and came out of the space, came in and came out. The guy, he was still there you know, 50, 60 years later, and he's seen people come and go, come and go. And he just played it safe. He played it safe and consistent. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, very, it's a very simple elementary lesson, but um, it, you know, oh, we very much practice that in our business. We... Um, our, our LTV, our leverage point across our portfolio runs in the low 60 range. Um, we surely could probably get much higher cash on cash returns by uh, leveraging the properties much more. Um, I know there's probably, we're leaving some equity on the table, but um, we're surely prepared for a downturn, you know, and, uh, and, and I feel like we would thrive through it because of that. We wouldn't have, to, we wouldn't have those concerns. We wouldn't lose sleep at night um, about being over leveraged uh, mm-hmm. if a catastrophic um, uh, event occurred like 2008. Right. Yeah, it's one thing to read some some advice like that on a meme on Instagram and some entirely different to hear it from somebody that's yeah. been through it, right? I remember when uh, one of my very first RIA meetings I ever went to, there was an old guy. He was, he'd made a fortune with uh, one-bedroom, one-bath apartments, which is like the thing that everybody – Scared, the other scared of it, yeah. <laughs> right? And he, it was really fascinating. And it was just like, wow, there's a million ways to make a million bucks in this business if you do it right. And uh, – they had asked them, or one of the questions was, if you had to start all over again, what would you have done differently? And his answer totally set me off on a whole new journey was, uh, I wish I would have bought more and sold less. Yeah. I was like, that. oh my God, that was just, that's his biggest regret sitting up there at 90 something years old. And he just thinks of all this, how much wealthier he would be if he just didn't sell anything. Yep. So. 
That's why yeah, that's funny. I, I, I go through that, that gut wrenching decision all the time and we're not really sellers, you know, I, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'll give you the flip side of that story. So we're not sellers. We don't consider ourselves sellers. Uh, we did sell a couple assets that if you'd asked us the prior year, if you'd asked us in 2017, like, um, you know, would you consider selling, you know, this out of the other property? We'd be like, no, absolutely not. Like they perform incredibly well. Um, our, our, our basis is really low in them. I mean, no, it just doesn't make sense. You know, they're not making any more mobile home parks. No, we're not selling. And last year we had, uh, towards the end of the year, we had some, um, what I felt to be ridiculous unsolicited offers come in for a couple of our properties that you never lose by taking money off the table. So like I, I subscribe to the don't sell um, because ultimately um, it's, it's the way to build wealth. I mean, th- think of it from a, a long-term horizon, mm-hmm. but also there is a chance that like there's, there's, there's risk associated with that to a certain extent. There is no risk with taking money off the table. Like there's never going to be risk with, with truly exiting out of a property, realizing that those, those, that those capital gains um, sucks to pay Uncle Sam. Uh, hopefully you've got another plan for you can 1031 or do something else with the money. But uh, in any event, you still don't lose in that endeavor, right? And um, so we're, we're surely not sellers, but um, everything's for sale at the right price. And, mm-hmm. uh, and as long as you can truly leverage that and have a plan to leverage that into something bigger and better, um, sure. I think it's quite all right to do so. Right. Well, it's one thing to, to sell to improve your portfolio. It's another yeah. thing to sell and go have fun. Right, right. Absolutely. That's what, that's what. I think yep. because it was an audience full of fix and flippers. So I think that's who he was addressing. But uh, I agree with you yeah. 100% on that. What is something that you hear in the real estate investing world that you hear over and over again that makes you cringe when you hear it? Um not to get started today. You know, like, you know, I, I, I agree that uh, we've been on an up run for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what my personal opinion is the folks that, that basically say, oh, I'm keeping my money on the sideline or I'm not doing this out of the other because there's a recession coming or just they're looking for an excuse not to do anything. Um, and so uh, they want to sound smart without taking yeah, action. Absolutely. They, right. yeah, exactly. One excuse for not taking action. And, uh, you know, even, I, I do agree that it's more challenging to find deals that, you know, I kind of talked about that a little bit before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to work a little harder. Uh, you got to work a little smarter. Um, but that's okay. Right. I mean, that, that's just all part of the business, right? It, it, there's ebbs and flows. And so uh, there's, again, there's always going to be a point in time when a seller needs or wants to sell. Your goal is just to be in front of them when that point in time comes. And I don't care if it's single family or mo- you know, uh, mobile home parks, multifamily, self-storage, whatever it might be. And so d- don't wait. Like there's not like a right or wrong time to get started as a investor. And so do it today. Whatever your your you know, your asset of choices, whatever you decide you want to do. Again, there's a thousand one different ways to make money in real estate. You can do turnkey. Uh, you can do fix and flips. You can do buy and holds like you do. Um, you can do mobile home parks. You can do everything else. I mean, but just right. do it. Take some action and, uh, um, and, and, and have some intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Your analogy of, of the, uh, the tire shop and, the, and the, uh, the credit cards, I think is, is so perfect for real estate as people are, are looking for their when is the market going to be up? When is it down? When should I get in? Just like you're, you're saying. And it doesn't matter what the market is doing. It's not a good or bad market. It's an up or down. And in every market, there's a relative low price to buy at and a relative high price to sell at. And that's always going to happen because life happens every single day, right? You get a flat tire every day. Uh, you run into a situation where you need a credit line. That happens to somebody every day. And the same thing with sellers. Yeah. Their, their motivation, something in life hits them, causes them to be a motivated seller. That happens every single day. I think that's great advice. 
Yeah. Um, the advice I give is figure out how to get creative, mm-hmm. right? Because it's funny. I've got, some, I got some friends that, that aren't in real estate. They really don't know anything about real estate. They own a home and that's about it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of different friends over the years that, that I've heard, you know, over the last probably two years, um, you know, like they're in their primary residence, like they've gained a ton of equity in this thing over the last couple of years. And they're like, you know, we got whatever half a million dollars of equity here. We're going to turn around. You know, we, we want to, um, you know, buy another home in the neighborhood. We really want to live in whatever it might be. And they start shopping. They're like, holy crap, the prices are so high. And I'm like, right. You're getting a very high inflated price for your home. You're selling it. But like that, that doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's like a linear exchange into something <laughs> that's also appreciated at the same rate. Right. And so yeah. you just got to figure out how to get creative. I mean, there's still ways to make money in these types of markets. You just got to get a little more creative, be more creative than the next guy. The few years I was a real estate agent, that happened all the time. You dealt with a seller that was demanding to get more for their house and then they'd go to buy a house. How could they ask that much for that? And I was like, yeah, well, you're yeah. just asking that much for yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Kevin, if there were three guiding principles for your success, three guiding principles. I'm going to refer For mine or, or advice to, to, to others? This is for yours, for you. And I'm asking the question a couple times so you have a second to think about it. <laughs> yeah. If, you, yeah. If there were three guiding principles for your success, what would they be? For the success that I've had, is that, yes. is that how you're asking? Your guiding yeah, principles for you. The, yep. Yeah, the, the, one of the, the biggest ones, I don't know where I'd be at today if it wasn't for uh, a mentor. And this is someone that came into my life. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed because it was surely by accident. I wasn't really looking for him. I know most people go out looking for a mentor. He found me. And so the, the universe kind of pulled us together. Um, and this was back when I was 19 years old. And uh, that's when they introduced me to real estate. And that's really what set me on my path. And so I know that I got lucky. And that normally is the case of how um, our, our paths crossed. Uh, we're still great friends today. And that was 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. Think, how was it? Yeah, 19, 20 years ago. Wow. I'm, getting old. I'm aging myself here. But um, so we'll mentor is... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and don't, don't subscribe to, you know, I get on bigger pockets every once in a while. And I see people posting about, you know, don't pay for it. You, know, you can learn everything you need to learn here. Like it might, it might be the truth, but like it's, um, it's kind of like saying like you expect a four year degree, a bachelor's degree without paying for it. Like, yeah, I know there's online like classes now and there's different things you can get like, you know, free, uh, there's like different lectures from universities you can get on Spotify. And, and so you could probably get the knowledge there, but like, it's going to be, puzzled together, you know, bits and pieces here. If you really want to take action, you want to do it in a very direct, um, targeted manner, seek out a mentor that directly aligned with your, your investment philosophy and, uh, and suck it up and spend the money and bring that person aboard and accelerate, um, your results. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I've, I've got two. I've, I've, I've spent yeah. $80,000 last year in, in coaches yeah. and yeah, I mean, attempt 10 times that return. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I feel you. Brother. Mindset of not paying for um, it. But if you want to go fast, go for it. It's an investment. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the other ones is, is enjoy what you do. You know, like don't don't subscribe just to you know looking at Facebook posts, seeing like people hold checks up of how much money they're making, um, and thinking just because they're flipping houses, they're wholesaling houses that that's for you. Like you, you, real estate investing might be a good fit, um, mm-hmm. but there's again a million and one different ways to make money as a real estate investor. So find the one that, that you, you might have to go through a few, um, you know, but pick one, find one that directly aligns with your, 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 whatever it's your core values, or maybe it's the lifestyle choice you're trying or a lifestyle you're trying to build, you know, kind of, you can build this business around your lifestyle, but Mm -hmm. find something that you enjoy doing that like, yeah, I like the idea of a four hour work week, 
Mm-hmm. But you know, I I don't know how realistic that is, um, and it shouldn't it, sh- it shouldn't even be an end goal for yours because if you truly enjoy what you're doing, it shouldn't seem like work anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I love what we do here. I love I love the staff that we have. We got some awesome people on our team, and uh, and it's fun, man. I, I really I know it's goofy to say, but like I enjoy mobile home parks. I, I like the people we serve. I like our resident base. I like knowing that we're providing a clean, safe, and quiet, affordable product in in, in markets that aren't affordable. Um, mm-hmm. That like that's fulfilling for me, and I like right. the you know the, the art of the deal, and I like hunting down deals and, and getting deals done. So I enjoy it. Um, nice. If I didn't, I'd go do something else. Sure. And, All right. So uh, seek a mentor. Enjoy what yeah. you do. What would the third one be? Yeah. Well, um, it probably goes back to find something that you enjoy doing, but dedic- dedication of, of of a certain amount of time. So if you you say, hey, I want to I want to learn how to fix and flip properties. Ignore all the other noise, ignore all the other shiny objects because we know there's a ton of them out there mm-hmm. and, and dedicate a certain period of time, whether it's 12 months, 24 months. And don't think about anything else. Don't change your path. Don't listen to your buddies that just made X amount of money doing something else, completely different strategy mm-hmm. and put the focus and put the time into it and dive, you know, both feet in and uh, learn everything you can learn. Listen to every podcast, you know, get that mentor, um, you know, go to, co- you know, go, go to boot camps, basically engulf yourself in that one strategy or that one niche. And again, give yourself the time to become good at it. I see so many people that kind of dive in and they, um, they get burned out before they, before they got started, you know, right. they didn't give right. them, they, they didn't set themselves up mentally um, for the uh, amount of time that it truly takes to master any one thing. So. Yep. Fantastic. I love it. Seek a mentor, enjoy what you do. And I'd say invest in becoming an expert at what it is you're going after. There you go. Or at least being it. good at it, right? Really good at it. And if you're good at it and you enjoy it, there's nobody that's going to stop you. Boom. Perfect. That's Kevin, true. let's end on that. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, two different ways. My, my personal website, kevinbuff.com. Uh, you can go to the Contact Us page there. And then our company, if you want to learn more about what we're doing in the mobile home park space, it's sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. And again, the Contact Us page, you'll, you'll be able to track me down through that. Cool. We'll put all that in the show notes for you too. Awesome. All right, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. uh, Always fun, man. I'll see you again soon. We'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. You take care. Thanks for having me. You bet. All righty, so that's it for today's episode of Thought Leader Thursday. I'll see you right here next Thursday for another episode right on the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.